people were giving me funny looks. I was holding up too. I'll not say, I'll not say. Actually, I will. My mum was disgusted at me not knowing the answer to that. San Francisco, what are you doing? You've been there. Um, so good, to, um, so good to worship together. I was, um, like I'm, a, I can be, I'm a sensitive soul as it is. But see, watching Tamar and uh, Amelia and Ethan just participating and leading us and being part of that's for me. That's what it's all about. For me, it just it just is at the very heart of who God is, and Jesus came to fully show us what the Father was like. And so whenever the disciples tried to shoo them out, shoo the kids away, Jesus was like, what are you playing at? Don't even dare. Let them in. Let them lead. Let them participate in what's going on here. And so that's always been the nature of God. It's always been the way that Jesus um, revealed the heart of God. And uh, so we're able to do that together this morning um, in the midst of what, because it, it got noisy. That's what the disciples were upset about. It got so noisy and distracting. They're like, what are we going to do about this? So even with all the noise and distraction, let the let the kids. Uh, but in saying that, if it gets too noisy in this wooden floor room, um, it's it's streamed live as Amy's already said. Um, anybody excited about the World Cup? Um, it's uh, I know that the Brazilians are always excited. Uh, the Scottish not so much. Um, but I. Uh, I know I'm aware or conscious that it's this one is there's certain controversy around it, and today will today kicks it off. Today kicks off the the first game is Ecuador v um, Qatar, and uh, Judith was wondering if are you going to watch are you going to watch Qatar v Ecuador, and I said I don't know I don't know if I'm going to watch it or not. She says right. She says well well name me three Qatar players. And I said, you're with me already. George Harrison, Eric Clapton, and Jimi Hendrix. So I got it right. <laughs> wow. I shouldn't have done that now. I feel like I want to keep going. <laughs> of nothing else. Of nothing else in store, though. Um, this is, a, I think it's already been referred to. Um, today, the language has already been used, multi-generation. And as we go through, as, in fact, if we, were just, if we were to go pick up the story of the children of Israel from, the, from Exodus beyond, and we're to pick up the story of the New Testament right from the, from the story of Acts, right through Paul's letters and Peter's, Peter's letters, we'll see that the, the multi-generational idea, the multi-generational calling of the church is, is there the whole way through. Not to get not to get into a history lesson this morning. I know some of the kids are starting their um, exams this week. Uh, probably history in the middle of all of that. But right up until three twelve A.D., um, Christianity was a movement. It truly was a movement. It was it es- it was it escalated. It was going right across the world. But more so than just the fact that it was a movement, it was a house to house movement. It was going from, what was happening was taking, was going from house to house. And I know that there's not, not to dismiss what was going on in the bigger environments and the bigger arenas, but essentially I agree with what Robert Banks said, that Paul wrote, Paul's letters, when we get to the New Testament, Paul wrote to networks 
of household churches. So when he's writing to the church in Corinth, he's writing to a group, a network of household churches. When he gets to Ephesus, he's writing to a network of household churches that include Lydia, that include the jailer, that includes so many of those other households that we get snippets of, their, their names and where they're coming from. Even we see it in the life of Jesus, um, the places of prayer that, uh, that were set up in households. And again, not to bore us, not to get bogged down in the details, but in 312, Constantine made Christianity the religion of the state, the religion of the empire. And maybe some would look on and think, it's not amazing. Sometimes we think, sometimes we think even today, if only we could get into a place of power, that would make a difference. Well, actually, if we go back, if we go back right to 312 AD, we'll see that that was not necessarily the case. When Constantine made Christianity the religion of the state, all of a sudden there was this hierarchical leadership. It was top down. Whereas we see in the life of Jesus and in the early church, it was grassroots, it was bottom up. And we see, uh, we see buildings became sacred. You had to get to the building, whereas... Before that, pre-312, it was all about the movement of what God was doing among households, networks of uh, household churches. Um, do you have that picture, Andrew? Uh, so I know this isn't uh, exactly what it would look like, of course. Anybody recognize this scene? Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the old one? Um, and so some of you may be aware, this is a wee bit of a multi-generational picture. Um, and so you have Charlie, and he's kissing his mum as he walks through the door, and his two sets of grandparents are in the bed. And so it's the only thing I could think of, and I was trying to, trying, to, trying to get us to imagine what the household would have looked like in this sort of um, ancient Near East, this early church period. It would have looked like um, kids, babies, mums and dads, grannies and grandas, aunts and uncles, servants, slaves. It would have been those that uh, maybe extended family who, who had become widowed and they were welcomed in. Remember um, Paul says to Timothy, for those that don't look after the members of their own household, it's, it's almost worse than having no faith, worse than the unbelievers. Um, and so these households made up of all generations. That's what it, it looked like. Um, and so I don't know how you would feel about that. I know what the thought of that does to you as you sit there, the thought of uh, a widowed aunt or grannies and grandas or extended family or those that work with you, employees or whatever, making up the household. But that's, that's what was going on. That's what a picture of this period of time looked like. And so there's so many places we could go to this morning. Acts chapter 16 uh, gives us, if you wanted to go home and read that whole chapter, you'll read the story of Lydia. And here was Lydia, a wealthy businesswoman who opened her home. And so her household would have looked like her family, her servants, extended family that she would have brought in to care for. 
And she encounters, she encounters the Lord through the work, through the ministry of Paul and Silas. And, um, and she opens up her home. And then we read the story of the jailer, and it's, it's that story that I, I would, again, would encourage you, we don't have time this morning to, to, um, to look at it all. But let me just read a few verses. Paul and Silas were in prison, um, praying and singing hymns to God. There was an earthquake, and uh, immediately the doors opened and everyone's chains were unfastened, and the, the panic-stricken jailer woke and and seen this and went to take his went to take his own life because he knew what was going to happen but the that he would have been responsible for what took place and paul and silas said don't do it believe in jesus and you will be saved you and your household um they spoke the word of the lord to him and all who were in the house and at the same hour of the night he took them washed their wounds then he and his entire family the entire household were baptized without delay and he brought them up into the house and set food before them and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God and just something about that picture that just caught my attention uh, last night um the story of the jailer but we, so, we get so focused on the jailer but whenever we read those few verses we just see that the whole household got caught up in what the Spirit was doing. They all rejoiced because of what happened. They all were baptized without delay. They were told here in this verse that um, Paul spoke that you uh, believe in the Lord and you will be saved, you and your household. All the generations, those from all sort of status, uh, get welcomed and get caught up in the story. And that's what I love. That's what I'm really passionate about, um, even these generational Sundays. But even more than that, just in, how we, just in how we go about our everyday life, that our kids just get caught up in the story. That our kids, we get caught up in the story of what's going on within the youth. The kids, we get caught up in the story. That everybody just get caught up in the story of what, of, of what David is sharing with us this morning around this chance to create a space of prayer. But if I can, just take the last few minutes just to talk about one more household. And it's the household of Stephanus. And we're introduced to Stephanus in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, sort of like it's, we bypass it almost. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this is Paul saying, Paul saying, I'm thanking God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that none of, no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Um, beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. So that's all we, that's all we know about Stephanus. And, um, and if I'm being honest, probably until this week, I thought that was the only mention. Um, I need to be a bit more observant because his, there is more told of him towards the end of the chapter in fact in the final greeting of chapter 16 of first corinthians chapter 16 verse 16 uh 15 sorry now brothers and sisters you know that members of the household of stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, 
and they devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you to put yourself at the service of such people and of everyone who works and toils with them. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. So give recognition to such people. I'm not going to spend loads of time in this, just to acknowledge that I think this is a beautiful picture of what happens when, 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 the, when the Spirit comes or when there is um, something happens within a household. Because Fortunatus and Achaicus, that weren't mentioned at the beginning, I get so caught up in this story. Um, even though society, these, these are two slaves, these are two servants of Stephanus's that are mentioned here. And so outside in society at large, they were of no status, of, of little value. And what Paul and Peter and Jesus are doing are just completely reversing the, the normal society household codes. And there are no titles here. In fact, I would almost... I know that there's some stuff around the offices, the, the, the five-fold ministry. We've talked about that before. But there's little around titles. The early church movement, it was so, um, so bottom-up. It was so grassroots. It was, there was no titles, but there was a recognition of those who have joined in. And that's why I think that the two names that are mentioned alongside Stephanus, those two other guys that make up the household, their names are really important. We can get to the letters and we can get to the greeting, the last wee bit, and skim over that. Uh, Paul's just signing off here. We zone out. But here are two names that I'd love you to remember. Because they're two people that are recognized, and, we're, and Paul encourages the church. Everything within you would not, outside of, outside of the church and outside of what's going on um, within this movement, would say there's nothing that they have to contribute. But he is saying in verse 18, recognize these people. In fact, there's another version that would tell us that submit, submit yourselves to this. These guys have joined in. They have participated in what's going on. And, and so Paul, as he does in several other letters, opens up this idea of mutual submission which was just completely contrary to anything um, in society, and probably even today. The idea of mutual submission, it completely upset the societal household codes. And I think for me, just as we finish up here, the, the, there is a part of being submissive that we automatically, when we hear that word, there's maybe some of us uh, cringe a little. The word has just been shrouded in sort of like, uh, almost like a, an oppressive obedience or something like that. But there is a submission that Paul is suggesting here that I think he is saying part of being submissive, submit, submissive is to cooperate. Part of being submissive is just to join in and to participate in what the Spirit is doing. And so we would encourage you with that. Like David's not standing up here to, like just to, to, to create an announcement around this prayer space just for the sake of it. There's a chance for us, if you think that this is something that is 
in line with our heart and our values and what the Spirit is doing, then submission to that just means we are going to join in. We are going to participate in what the Spirit is doing. We are going to be cooperative here. And that was the, that was the challenge to the household all the time. Ephesians 5, 21, um, everyone was urged to, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That little verse gets lost in um, all of the other stuff in that chapter. But that's, it was, this was completely groundbreaking when Paul was saying, submit yourself, submit to one another, everyone submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so in Stephanus's house, the household all generations, all status. Everyone submitted themselves, devoted themselves to serving the church. This is not some sort of push to try and guilt you into serving or anything like that. It's just like, let's see what's taking place in this household. And I think it is something beautiful. And to finish with Galatians chapter 3, the Paul again completely reversing everything that was going on outside of this movement, outside of the, this movement from house to house, network of churches. Um, Paul says there, are, there is neither male nor female, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And that's what the household, that's what I think it means to be the household of God that Paul talks about in Corinthians. That there's neither male nor female, old or young, all of those distinctions, all of those things that, would, that we would try and separate or categorize, that's, it's, it's, that's done away with because we're all one in Christ Jesus. And I just love these Sundays whenever that is, that is, that is truth, that's the reality. There's no nationalities. I know we acknowledge that and celebrate that. But in many ways, it's secondary. Or social status or employment status, all of that is secondary to being one in Christ Jesus. And um, 